So, so welcome to the leap. I'm Matthew. With me is Micah. What's up, Micah? Howdy, y'all. So each week we split the podcast into two parts. The second part of the podcast, so we're all on the level, we talk about players we think are making the leap. For the first part of the podcast, though, we pick a game of the week we both watch where we try to key in on the more obscure players and the not-quite-yet superstars of the NBA. And then we come here to chat with each other about it. So that's where we'll start. We watched the Golden State Warriors against the Utah Jazz this week. The Warriors won the game 115-94. to 94. This was the game of the half-court shot heard around the world. Why did we watch this game, Micah? Dude, well, uh, it was more my idea, I think. I've been watching the Jazz more lately. I like their style, even though it's boring and lame compared to modern NBA standards. They're like the they're like the gramophone of the NBA. You know, they're <laughs> like somehow like quaint <laughs> in yes. their old schoolness. Yes. So I kind of wanted to see how that style would contrast what they would be able to do against the Warriors, basically. Yep. Um, I think that's the main reason we watched him. Yeah, it, they are kind of this quaint, older playing team even though there's this kind of, like, new school feel to them in some sort of sense. Like, Quinn Snyder, their coach is Well, they're is all not, young players. Yeah. yeah, they're young, and Quinn Snyder, their coach, is not, like, a dumb guy. Uh, the Jazz organization, See, drafting players, they're not dumb at that. So yeah. go ahead on the Quinn Snyder thing. No, I was just... This is kind of what I'm wondering, though, because I didn't think he was necessarily always about this old-school style of basketball necessarily, mm-hmm. right? Not at all. Yeah. So is this something that he adopted because... Utah ownership kind of <laughs> I think said we'll hire you if you, this is what we're doing though. I personally what? think he's someone that's actually a good enough coach that changes uh his system to fit the players. Um so he came up through the Spurs system and we see this year and every year basically Popovich is changing his team style of play based on the players they have and then also who they need to get past to win the championship essentially now see right and you're making the san antonio connection which i'm sure that helped him but to me i was just thinking how there's so few nba coaches that either are willing or able to change up their style Mm -hmm. you know based for instance fred hoiberg with the chicago bulls (laughs) has had a really hard time adapting to their actual roster of human beings yeah um so number one why is that that so few coaches are able to do that or willing or think that that would be a strength. Easy right? answer. There's just not enough good coaches. Is that it? Yeah. There's well, just not there's me, like five good coaches, maybe 10 <laughs> tops. Man, you're probably right. Um, I feel well, like it's really me, hard though. I want to give like the other coaches credit because it's very yeah. hard to be this sort of uh, reflexive coach essentially on yeah. a year to year basis and on a game to game basis, but yeah. keep going. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, um, you make the San Antonio connection. I'm sure that helped. Popovich obviously has been a genius at adapting his old players to a very modern, more fast-paced style of game. Yeah. He's a genius. But to me, I think it's almost more that Quinn coached at Missouri in, in college for so mm-hmm. long. That's where he really made his name. Oh, yeah. And in college, you Made his name be, in a good and bad way. Yeah. In a, right. I always liked him because he looks like Ichabod Crane or something. Yeah, you know what, yeah. In, he always reminded me of like a college Pat Riley, basically. But then oh, he was not okay. keeping things on the level at all, too. And so that's why he was basically pushed out of college basketball. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, on a year-to-year Who's basis... Who's this Ichabod Crane you speak of? <laughs> you know, the dude from the, you know, the Headless Horseman. Yes, guy. okay, all right. I yeah. got it, I got it, yeah. Yeah, not the actual Headless Horseman. Okay. The guy being chased by him. Yeah. Was that uh, a Johnny Depp thing? Did he play 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a classic story, I think. Okay. Before, before Johnny Depp. So Johnny Depp. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I know it was not invented with Johnny Depp. No, I just like but... Quinn Snyder because he has that air where he looks like, yeah, like an adjunct poetry professor. Or, you know what I mean? Just no like, doubt. anyway. Yes. Um, but so I'm just saying, like, I think part of why he's adaptive is because, yeah, on, in college, your, your roster is constantly turning over. Yeah. So you better be able to adapt your yeah. system to whatever players you got. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. It's interesting. I, I think also, though, in college, there is probably even more of a th- a thing with keeping your system regardless of your players, though. See, because but then, you exactly. essentially get to recruit in all the people that fit your system, basically. If you can find guys like that all the time. Right. You know? Or you you're convert your Snyder system level, to being, you know, if you're like a mid-major coach, like, all right, my system is going to be based around me knowing I can only get these certain types of guys. Where I'm going to get like a guy who's 6'3", but basically plays power forward or something like that, you know? A bunch yeah. of... I always think of Marquette wasn't a mid-major, but they basically had all of these kind of second-tier recruits, essentially, that were all... I mean, now as we see it in the NBA, they would be like Warriors type uh, interchangeable pieces. Jimmy yeah. Butler, Jay Crowder, Wes Matthews, right. those types. Yeah. Wow, that well, was a really long digression into coaching, but I oh, liked that's it cool. a I was, lot. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't planning on this, but that's interesting. Um, well, any? Why do you? How many? How many good coaches do you think there are in the NBA? Dude, yeah. I mean, that's a good question. I don't think it's like that. Everyone is so bad at coaching. I just think that honestly, like most GMs people running teams are really bad at hiring coaches, okay. you know, kind of finding the right guy for the system. A lot of, it seems like there's always a one dimensional idea of coaching. Like, Oh, okay. We have, we're bad at defense. Let's hire a defensive coach. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Here are the five available defensive coaches. And then you got some guy, you know what I mean? Who's yeah. just not ready for your players and the whole thing. I mean, you're speaking specifically to, you know, they always do this with, with coaches. It's a reactionary hire. Exactly. So in the bull situation that you brought up, we had the defense on lock and we needed someone to push the offense forward. But in doing that by hiring an offensive coach, somehow he, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe what happened with that team this year, but <laughs> he wasn't reflexive enough to the roster that he actually inherited um, for being some sort of pseudo offensive genius that they were looking for. And I don't mean to be too critical of Fred. That's a whole, we could no. do an episode on that. I, and and but, yeah. I think the the main thing is I think there's only a few coaches that can take whatever roster they have from year to year and mold that into something different. Yeah. The other guys aren't bad coaches, but that's just a really really hard thing to do to be a Popovich or you know yeah. whatever. You're an all time great basically right. if you can attempt that essentially right. at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's right. a game. Well, that being said. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, dude, but this game, I mean, is so anyway, so that's why we wanted to watch it. A little bit of an old school style versus the Warriors, hyper modern style. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that being said, and just in, in broad strokes, it, and we can get into the specifics here, but I feel like now it's a mistake. Like everyone's thing is, oh, you got to slow the Warriors down, yeah. right? Don't play at their pace. They create too much chaos. You can't keep up, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so Utah is obviously, you know, they're getting turnovers golden state turned the ball over 15 times this game uh utah with 19 turnovers uh so obviously that you know had an effect uh that golden state's trying to create that chaos but at the same time utah only had two fast break points 
to Golden State's 26, right? Yep. So to me, that is kind of like, if your whole thing is slow the game down at all costs mm-hmm. to break up their momentum, what you're also doing, you're compounding their success because now when you do get those turnovers, you're not capitalizing on it. You know, you're actually slowing the game down, right? And not taking advantage of the few chinks in their armor that yeah. they're creating. Like, I almost feel like just if I was an NBA coach, we're talking about reflexiveness, playing them in the playoffs. Yeah, instead of trying to go contrasting style, give it right back to them. That's the only time when they start to look uncomfortable a little bit. Yeah. If, is if they're not exerting their will on you. And by slowing it down, I don't know. I just feel like you end up looking stupid because then they just style on you. <laughs> That's an interesting point for sure. And you definitely end up looking ridiculously stupid. I thought during the game, like the best, the best players to have playing against Golden State in Golden State would be people that had like earmuffs on essentially that were not <laughs> bothered at all by the ooze and ahs of the crowd because yeah. that, that stuff has to get in your head to an insane amount, even if you're an NBA player, you know, where you want to keep up with it or it just kind of like beats you down throughout the game and your sense of worth and ego throughout the game, you know? Yeah, and that's Oracle Arena is a totally magical place. And no one ever yeah. talks about this, but if you've ever seen a game there, especially in the upper deck. Like you have, right? You've been to games there? Uh, yeah, correct? I've been to a handful of games there. Yeah. Love it there. Um, but if you're sitting up high, the ceiling is concave, right? Rather than being a dome. Like if you're sitting not even all the way up to the top, but just kind of the ceiling, actually the lowest point is below you a little bit. Right. Weird. So that's why it's always so crazy loud in there because yeah. it was pushing the sound back down. Mm. Um, anyway, so no one ever talks about that, but that's why I have big part of why their home crowd is, you know, so notorious. Crazy. Anyway. And we should also note that this, uh, let's see. Um, Rodney hood, the shooting guard who we yep. talked about for the jazz before probably I don't know, their best perimeter player, I would say. He, they sat him for this game with a sore lower back. He played the game before, and then he played again the game after. Yeah, so the it Jazz seemed like were definitely men down. They had they were kind of well, Mack starting at point guard. Uh, they who, had Trey who, Burke. Yeah. And Trey then Burke they played had CJ and... Johnson starting. Chris Johnson, <laughs> yeah. or sorry, yeah. Chris Johnson, who's a 29-year-old third-year NBA player. They, Trey Burke was the first person off the bench, but he got two... DNP coaches decisions the last two games exactly so and the thing about Trey Burke is there was a a play in the second quarter that explained I don't know confirmed my ideas of him essentially you know uh yeah definitely a bad confirmation bias play but the Warriors were on offense and every guy touched the ball on offense and there were like no dribbles and then uh, they made a basket, and Trey Burke got the ball, dribbled it down, and took a fast break, long two-point shot. You know, and it was kind of one of those things where it's like, yeah, that's that's Trey Burke. That's kind of what he does. He's really skilled, but I don't know. He's not the type of player that he maybe can be in your top eight rotation. Yeah, but I'm not even sure of that. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I don't know. He I, I he played pretty well this game, just as far as distributing, oh, scoring. Yeah. Yeah. Surprise! He's not a great shooter, but he was shooting the ball pretty well. So it seemed like he was. I guess that shot that you're talking. It seemed like he was like, okay, I haven't played in two games, yeah. so yeah. I'm gonna try to like put a stamp on this game. Definitely. Um, yeah. Well, uh, did you know that Joe Ingles' nickname is Jingle and Joe? By any <laughs> no. chance? No. Yeah. Were you on the jazz broadcast? Heck yeah. <laughs> 
I could just because I had never heard their announcers and I wanted to see what they were like. Well, um, so this is the thing. Don't spoil it for me because I think I have like an opposite opinion of everyone else. I feel like everyone hates the jazz announcers and I actually really like Matt Harpering a lot. Harpering, that's who it is. Yeah, yeah right. Okay. I hated him as a player, obviously. Um, <laughs> kind of probably still hate him, but I, I like him in the announce, announce crew at least. I don't know. That's just me. Oh. Especially compared to other like NBA players that are like the color <laughs> analysts for the games, you know, if it's like yeah. a Dominique Wilkins type or even like Brevin Knight the other the other week that we watched, um, yeah, much better. The one good line that he had this game was uh, whoever their play-by-play guy is, he was like, because the fir- the Warriors' first basket of the game was this ridiculous Steph Curry left-handed behind the back pass. Oh, that was so sweet. S- splitting two guys on the fast, just per yeah, just impossible. Yeah. The, the play-by-play guy was like, oh, sometimes you know you just you just don't know if you actually saw it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and then the commercial break, he comes back and he's like, oh, if I gave you the ball eight times, in, you know, ten times in a row, you wouldn't be able to make that pass. Oh, no one can do that. Blah, blah, just going on how impossible. And Matt Harpering is like, well, okay, I played in the NBA. <laughs> I could maybe make that once, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Anyway. Yeah, that was such a perfect play to the game. And just kind of like this whole season, he has been magical and their team's been magical. And that was kind of the thing that, I don't know, you would do on the first play of the game, basically, with exactly. the season they're having. So that... Exactly. So that typified their whole game and season um, mm-hmm. to me. And I don't really, yeah, I don't know how much else you have on this game, but it seems like we've kind of summed it up here. Because then this whole second half, after the first half ended on that Curry uh, half-court shot, like you said, yeah, I, that seemed to break their spirit. Because the Jazz were within single digits. That put the lead to like 12 going into half, I think, or 11. Yep. And then second half, they just came out so flat. They yep. were done. Yeah, they were keeping it tight from there. And so, did you see the stats on stat? So that was a fifty-five foot shot. Uh, yeah. Officially, after that, for people that don't know, like the specifics of where the three-point line is at, it's it's at twenty-two feet, and then one and three-fourths inches. But Steph, from forty feet out, is four for eleven for the year. So he's at thirty-six point four percent, which is crazy. I mean, he's probably like a top 50 three-point shooter in the NBA uh, from 40 feet away from the hoop. Um, and then from 30 feet away from the hoop, he's 48.1%. Yep. So he makes almost half of his shots from 30 feet away from the hoop. No, that dude, this is, is crazy. Like a couple of weeks ago, I saw a stat, and I'm, it, it's only gotten more ridiculous now. But yeah, he like his efficiency from 28 feet and yeah. beyond. And again, we're talking 28 feet, like you just said. That's already a good six feet beyond the line, right? Yeah. From 28 feet and on, he's shooting like oh, I wish I could remember now, but it's 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 like 50 plus percent, okay, almost 60 percent, maybe with this half court from this game, around 60 percent. So his shooting, if like his effective field goal percentage, because he's those are all threes, obviously, yeah. and then the percentage. Right. He's basically shooting over a hundred percent. Like his deep three and beyond, twenty-eight feet and beyond, is better than LeBron unguarded dunking, repeatedly, <laughs> more efficient, which is just like, it's hard to imagine, man. It's crazy. One other person I want to draw attention to is uh, Draymond who 
I don't know. He, I know he has a point guard's eye basically for the game, but there was one play that really stood out to me about that. So Maurice Spates is a bench player for the Warriors. I saw him a lot in college because uh, he played for Florida. He's not a guy that's a naturally unselfish player. Um, but at one point in the game, Draymond had an open three-point shot and Spates was on the block. Draymond passed it up, gave it to Spates. Spates had a nice little post move and made it two. And then two plays later, he passed it to Spates in the post again, and then Draymond cut towards the basket, and, and Draymond got a pass back from Spates and had an easy two-point layup. Yeah. That's the sort of thing that, like, as a point guard or with that mentality, the Spates pass to Draymond for the easy two does not happen if Draymond had passed up, uh, giving it to him in the post a couple plays earlier. And I just no, I love yeah. that about Draymond. No, that's a good point because Spates is basically one of the most notorious quick shooters in the league because he doesn't play so many minutes and he's, yep. you know, that's what he comes in for. He always gets Trey the Burke shots up. Yep. Or a Hassan Whiteside level of assists, you know, yeah. like yep. <laughs> barely double digits on the season, <laughs> I think. Right. Um, so, yeah, that is impressive then. No, Draymond, too, is funny because he's such a competitive dude. But I was just going to say the one play that summed up this game for me and both teams' attitudes about it was Trey Burke went in for a layup. Draymond, who's not a known shot blocker, you know, he's undersized for his position, just had a brutal block along the baseline. Did you see this? Yeah. And then he instantly goes down to pull Trey up and he's like patting him on the back, you know. And this is Draymond, who's one of the most, you know, fiery competitors in the league, always getting people's faces. Yep. So for him to instantly and just instinctually do that, it's like they just felt bad for the jazz in this game. You know what I mean? They were just like, yeah, let's just get this over with. This is for fun. Especially because that's basically his mortal enemy because Trey Burke went to Michigan. And we all saw this week too, that Draymond stopped answering media questions from this one guy that was wearing a Michigan shirt because Draymond went to Michigan state. So I actually didn't see that, but I do like it. Trey um, Burke also total trader born in Columbus, Ohio, home right. of Ohio state. And we have brought this up before. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying part of why I hate him. <laughs> Clued in <laughs> listeners will remember this. <laughs> um, I, I do want to talk about golden state's defense for just a quick second, because I really wanted to see their transition defense. Ron Adams, who was an assistant coach for the bulls for a little while with Tibbs. He talked about defensive spontaneity. And I thought that was really interesting because offensively, that is what their team is all about, being of one mind and moving as one body, essentially, and trying to do the same thing on the defensive end, which is usually just a grind, basically making that feel like offense in terms of creativity and freedom and ability to switch men and kind of work as a team. I really like that for some reason. I don't know. The idea of defensive spontaneity, which to most coaches, most players, most teams, that would be the worst possible <laughs> thing to like talk about. Like, But I trust the Warriors doing it for some reason. Well, but it's, yeah, no, that's also one of those things too, where that amount of freedom, you know, creates the desire to play the defense, you know, yeah. because, and I think that's also like, we were talking about that earlier, just how defensive mentalities have changed. Yeah. The Warriors don't, they're not the traditional style of defense where they close hard to shooters and try yeah. to like contest every shot. Put the, put their hand in your eyes or something. Yeah. Do the they cover, get, cover the eyes. Right. Like Shane Battier thing. Yeah. But, but they gamble on defense, which is basically what you're saying, yes. right? Yep. And I think that's why they're so excellent. They've got undersized guys that one-on-one, you know, could get dominated by most NBA players. Mm -hmm. um, 
but because they gamble so much, they end up, you know, more than half the time making the most out of it, creating opportunities where there aren't any. Yeah. One thing that stuck out to me too was they switch a lot on defense and that is insanely helpful to their, their transition offense because when they're switching on defense, you know, say Steph Curry gets switched on to Derek Favors for like two seconds or something and a shot gets put up. Then all of a sudden Derek Favors and whoever was guarding Steph Curry have to talk basically within two seconds or just know immediately who's going to cover Steph on the break. So right. the, the switching on defense seems like it might hurt them, but it honestly pushes their transition offense up another level because it creates the chaos that we know that gets created by people trying to find the man that they need to get back on defense for. Well, plus they're switching too. Because, like we were talking about, they have a lot of interchangeable players. So yep. their guards, Sean Livingston, 6'8", Andre Iguodala, 6'8", are bigger than their power forward. Draymond Green, 6'7". So when they have to switch or double somebody like Derek Favors, it kind of, I don't know, it's like they're bringing a better, taller guy from the perimeter. Um, And there are so many instances where, yeah, Livingston is just amazing. His defensive ability is so good now. He's perfect for that type of quick switch. Yep. Man, we got in the weeds there. It's cool. I like it. We're we're wonks. We're quants. (laughs) You ready to leap? Who's leaping this week, dude? My first leap. I I basically have one, so I'm just going to do all mine right now because they're kind of related. Devin Booker from the Phoenix Suns. Uh, See, he dominated. I thought we did him already. I was going to say. He was on my leap all-star team. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I did give him some extended shine there. Right. But he is just... Like you said, dominating. He had he's a rookie. Uh he's a nineteen year old rookie from Kentucky. He had three thirty point games this week. Like you have gotta be kidding me. He's the only yeah. teenager besides LeBron James, who you all know, to have thirty points or more in back to back games. Ever. Wow. NBA history. Wow. Him and LeBron James. In the Not same even Moses sentence. Malone. Not even Moes. I don't know. Did they have stats and paper and pens at that point in time? (laughs) Yeah, good question. Or just sleeping pelts. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But the uh, game against the Nuggets, uh, there was 83 points scored by three rookies, which was the most ever in a single game. Devin Booker had 35 points. Emmanuel Moutier, who we've talked about before here for the Denver Nuggets, he had 30 points, and then Jokic had 18 points. Do you want to correct my pronunciation on that? Because that seems to be like a theme that I can't pronunce. Is it a soft J? Or a <laughs> hard J? Used... Is it a, like jogging or jogging? Well, I don't, think any, like, I don't think people have figured out yet, but I think it's Jokic. And then, yeah, that was what I was going to... If think. it was a ch at the end. Yeah. yeah. Uh... Well, no, yeah. Pretty crazy. So, off of that, the Lakers trio of young guys, um, for the first time ever, they all three scored over 20 points in a single game. D'Angelo Russell had 27, Jordan Clarkson had 24, Julius Randle had 23, uh, and this was in their 107-98 to win against Orlando. Dude, yeah. No, that's perfect. I was going to say, D'Angelo, this week... 
D'Angelo Russell, a.k.a. the Louisville legend, a.k.a. Buckeye Buckets. A.k.a. Okay? G-Loading. A.k.a. Black Messiah, you know. Uh, one of my favorite players in the league now, you know, went to Ohio State for one year. Um, not a traitor. But, <laughs> no, from Louisville, went to Ohio State. Okay. You know, yeah. Kept it regional. Um, but yeah, over his last eight games, he's had seven with 20 or more having 23 points per game. His assists and rebounds are still where they've been at season average wise. But the thing that impresses me about him, and I've talked about this several times uh, and both of my leap guys this week, it's kind of the same case. So D'Angelo is shooting a lot more per game. Uh, in, like I say, in the last eight games here, um, but his percentages have also gone up quite a bit. So in the last eight games, he's shooting 43% in total where it was at 36% on the season. It's a big jump. And then, uh, oh no, I'm sorry, that was threes. But then from the floor, yeah, he's at 43% for the season, 47% in the last eight games. Nice. Uh, so to have his attempts go up uh, five shots a game uh, and his efficiency also go up, that's pretty impressive. Um, we're at this good time in the season where a lot of guys who we've been speculating on earlier in the year, you know, they're playing on bad teams, coaches have kind of started to give them a little bit more rope to kind of play so we're starting to see the the results of that with d'angelo yep. um and just you know while we're on it here since you already brought him up my other leaper for this week emmanuel moutier wow we are like totally in simpatico this week dude all, aka all day moutier aka <laughs> aka flair congo <laughs> um he had a great game. Like you said, career high 30 uh, the other night. And then just like I was saying with D'Angelo, um, when we talked about Moutier earlier in the year, this is the one thing I was saying, because, uh, you know, D'Angelo's had to deal with playing with Kobe Bryant and Roy Hibbert all year, mm -hmm. guys that are black holes in their own way. <laughs> right. Yes. Moutier, he's dealing with the opposite problem where everyone, there's no one dominant or trying to take over on the team. Everyone's kind of at the same level of being pretty good mm -hmm. how good are these guys going to be so we were talking earlier in the year about how we both wanted moutier to just kind of take over yep. right and organize it a little bit more uh and so yeah his uh over the last let's see here over the last five games denver has won four of those uh moutier is putting up 21.6 over those five um and his let's see field goal percentage from the just from the floor in general has gone from 35 to 46 percent Three-point percentage has gone from 30 to 44 percent. Wow! So that's pretty amazing to me. You know, his attempts have gone way up just in the last five, but his percentage is also so. Uh, both of these dudes, I'm very excited for them in the future. Yeah. Uh, they're going to be playing a lot of excellent games against each other before too long. I like it. It's a good leap. Um, oh yeah, one more leap. Um, A.K.A. Joey who? <laughs> No, dude. Thanks for noticing. That's my new gimmick week to week with the leap. I'm coming up with lots of nicknames. Okay. Um, but just call me the human nickname. Um, <laughs> okay. Now you're banned from giving nicknames. Dang it. I took it. I knew I'd take it too far. Joey Crawford um, though. Well, you don't want to hear all the nicknames I crossed out. Um, Joey Crawford. Okay. Legendary NBA ref. Mostly uh, legendary for being an authoritarian. I think yeah. we can all agree. Okay. He really likes to imprint himself, take over games. Very right? flamboyant. Very flamboyant. Way. Once broke his own middle finger from calling a technical too hard. <laughs> um, he injured himself this week. 
He was already retiring this year, we knew. Uh, so he's refereed his last game. So no more Joey Crawford. You know, he was like the unseen hand of the man, you know? Like yeah. he was like David Stern's, you know, enforcer in the league, basically. Uh, so I'm very happy to see him gone. But one thing I was going to say, um, Doc Rivers, LA Clippers coach, mm-hmm. notorious for hating the refs, biggest complainer in the league, right? Hates yep. the refs. Uh, he had some very complimentary things to say about Joey Crawford this mm. week, talking about how, oh, well, with Joey, you always knew what you were going to get, and he wasn't afraid to make the tough call on the road and all this stuff. And it's like, wow, we all hate Joey Crawford. He's a villain. If Doc Rivers, the most noted ref hater, loves this guy, that confirms it all. Right. <laughs> that, means, that means he is the worst if Doc loves him. Anyway, so I'm happy about that. It's awesome. That wasn't that was the only non crossover of our leaps this week. Joey Crawford. <laughs> That's pretty funny though, because as you listeners might or might not know, we do not compare notes before this every week. So that's a pretty fun leap to have had. Whatever. There we go. Yeah. Um Double Dutch, dude. You know. Double D T C H. So you all out there can support us by subscribing on iTunes or leaving a review for us, and we will see you all next week. Peace. Yeah.